All right, so we are back in the book of Philippians tonight, which is going to be so much fun. Um, all right, y'all. So I am definitely not ashamed to admit that I get emotional in movies, especially typically the ones made by Disney and or Disney Pixar and or Disney Marvel and all of them. Um, but I was thinking this week about Ralph Breaks the Internet, Ralph 2. You guys know it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I'm in the right space. All right, cool. So I was thinking about in that movie how, um, how hard change was for Ralph. You guys remember that? Like how hard, like he finds out Penelope is going to be leaving and he is like heartbroken over that. He is so, so struggling over that. And at the end, he finally learns to accept the change and that grief are part of life. And he accepts that. And it is a part of the growth that happens within him. And all of a sudden we look at one another in the theater and we're all like ugly crying. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I remember watching that in the theater and thinking, I am Ralph. Like, I hate change. I don't want it. I don't, like, I like things to be the same unless they're really cool, in which case I want them to be changing, but like, kinda, okay? And then COVID hits. And then all of our lives begin to unravel and change in such crazy ways. I've heard so many of your different stories of what took you, um, away from different contexts across the world, what brought you out of different work locations at Walt Disney World, what brought you here from different states, all this craziness kind of ensued for so many of us. It's like the whole world went haywire and all of a sudden we all kind of realized that we are all like a planet of Ralphs. Like all of us kind of just hate watching as all this changes unearthing all at the same time. See, I think what that unearthed is that even for the, the most go with the flow of, of us in the room, the reality is, is that when circumstances shift, there can be difficult realities that come with that. I've been realizing in this season, though, how, how often my circumstances dictate how I am feeling. And I've been observing that, like, kind of through the trajectory of my life, kind of looking back right now. Um, but I've been seeing how even in just some of the daily realities that I go through with my, my role, that, like, when I have a difficult conversation on the horizon on my schedule, I will honestly lose a ton of sleep over it. It's, it, like, it's scary for me. If, if I have found out that I have hurt someone's feelings in one way or the other, I am like broken over it because the circumstances in that relationship are, are really terrible in that moment. And I want to go beyond making it right. I want to make it as if it was way better than it's ever been because the circumstances are rough. See, when circumstances blow in like a storm, the way I've been thinking about it is that my faithfulness will sometimes waver. And this brings me to the question, I believe, the central question as we are engaging in the book of Philippians tonight, which is what does it look like to remain faithful in the midst of difficult circumstances? What does it look like to remain faithful in the midst of difficult circumstances? When the family member gets a diagnosis, when you get a text message that a friend got arrested, when the pandemic hits home in a way you didn't believe possible, when the promotion goes to someone else, when you get called back, but not to the role you were expecting, how do you remain faithful to what God has called us to do and who he has called us to be in the middle of that? How are we called to be faithful in the midst of all that? So where we've been so far in the book of Philippians is Paul has spent the introduction so far 
kind of just bathing the church in Philippi with prayer because they are his beloved gospel partners. He is stoked about them. He loves these brothers and sisters. Like they are tight. He cares so deeply for them and he takes comfort in their perseverance and in their ongoing support of him and their ongoing and his ongoing support of them. And Paul has informed them that he prays, and I love this, I love this, that they would abound more and more in love with all knowledge and discernment. And the ultimate purpose behind that is so that it would be to the glory and praise of God. I love that. He wants them to grow in love that is rooted in knowledge and discernment. Like he wants them to grow in maturity, that they would become more like Jesus and that they would do it to the glory and praise of God. See, Paul talks a lot about glory um, of God throughout the scriptures. When he is writing, he's talking a lot about how much he cares about God's glory. And he wants things to be done for the glory of God. And that's going to be a theme that we're going to hit on a few times tonight. So I don't want us to miss that as that becomes the transition point. Because you see, God cares much about his glory as well as we'll unearth a little bit as well. See, Paul has been writing this letter to these gospel partners in the midst of a very difficult season in his own life. He is now in year four of house imprisonment in the middle of Rome, a place that is foreign land for him. And he is going to give some incredible insights tonight to these followers of Jesus as sons and daughters of the king that, and of how, of how we can respond in the midst of the chaos of change. So we're in the book of Philippians, chapter one, starting in verse 12 tonight. Here's how Paul begins. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, stop. Okay, let's stop right there. All right. So I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. So what has happened to Paul? I mentioned just a second ago that he is in prison. So that sounds like a pretty big deal, right? But let me give you a little bit of insight into all that has brought Paul up to this moment in his personal journey. First, what happened was he was out one day preaching the gospel and it incites a riot against him. And they end up, it goes, this, this chaotic riot ensues and he gets carted off into a two-year imprisonment in a city called Caesarea. After that, he ends up appealing to Caesar because there are threats on his life that are begun to be made, which means that he is going to have to now go face trial in front of Caesar in Rome. So he is now on board a ship going towards Rome, and as he is on his way, that ship that he was on gets shipwrecked. Not ideal. So now he is shipwrecked on his way while still being imprisoned, ends up getting bit by a snake, stoned with rocks, not great stuff, ends up making his way eventually to Rome just to start his house arrest season with restricted freedom and an impending trial that he doesn't know where it's going to go, how it's going to be for him. You know, just those things that have happened to me so far. Now, what about those things? Wouldn't you, un, would, wouldn't you like not blame Paul too much if you'd have said, you know, what has happened to me has darkened my soul. Like I am ticked. Everyone is terrible. The world is awful. I am just sick of this. I'm calling it quits. But that's not Paul at all, right? Instead, Let's see what Paul says here. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
That sounds beautiful, right? I mean, St. Paul, the guy who writes uh, over a third of the New Testament of the Bible, like Paul, the guy who was called into apostleship ministry by Jesus himself, like that Paul, like that's easy for him to say, right? Well, is this because Paul just has a, a, a glass half full perspective of everything in life? The reality is if you read Paul's writings, the answer is no. Paul is not someone who just sugarcoats things. He's somebody who talks from the depths of his anguish. He talks from the realness and the rawness. He isn't the kind of guy that's, come, that's walking into church just going, just painting on a smile and going, ah, oh, too blessed to be stressed. How could I say my life's bad when God is so good? Like, that's not Paul. See, we can come to God and we can come to one another within biblical community with our realness and our rawness. And we can honestly process our circumstances in safety with one another and with God. But the beauty and what Paul is speaking from in this place is that through Jesus, our perspective doesn't have to stay there even when our circumstances don't change. See, what we find is there is hope in the midst of our circumstances. And this is what Paul has already discovered. See, the chaotic circumstances, all the what has happened to me, would not been the things that Paul would have chosen for himself. He wasn't like some glutton for punishment, but he has realized that they can be used by God. Which, like, side note, this directly goes to a very significant reality that I believe is vital that we understand and truly believe and embody and desire to know about the character of God, that he is for our good. God is for our good. He really is. He really is. He wants our good. Now, the truth is, is that oftentimes, though, how we might define our good is very different than what God is going to do for our good. This isn't to downplay circumstances, but we often desire to see our circumstances changed. That's what we envision as our good. But what God oftentimes envisions as our good is what he is going to begin to affect change in us in the midst of our circumstances. Which is an underlying reality that Paul has discovered through both the difficult and the present circumstances that he's dealing with, as we're going to discover later on in this letter. Now, it'd be hard to imagine that Paul's good would include all of these terrible circumstances that have led him to this point. But God hasn't wasted a single moment in the story of Paul. And God has been doing a work in his life. And the same goes for us. The same goes for you. God is not wasting the difficult. And God has been using Paul's circumstances to serve a bigger purpose, to expand the story of the gospel into places it otherwise would have not been found. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known through the, throughout the entire imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You guys don't seem very impressed by that statement. Okay, here's why that's crazy. Okay, these were the elite personal soldiers of Caesar. These were his posse, his bodyguards. All right, I'm a Star Wars nerd. So um, when I was reading this, these are the guys that came to my mind. Those guys. Okay. All right. Those are the guys that came to my mind. Yeah. Episode nine, watch it. 
you haven't watched it, maybe don't watch it. Either way, we're all good. But so, so those guys are the Praetorian Guard. In fact, the actual Praetorian Guard is the name of Caesar's crew. And these, these fellas are the Praetorian Guard as well. That's their name in the Star Wars universe. So the Praetorian Guard, these, their role is to stay close to Caesar, to keep him safe. To, they have very limited access to the outside world. They're not like Secret Service where they go in, out and about and have vacations in normal life. Like their lives and livelihoods were attached to the person of Caesar. In other words, they would have had very limited exposure to anybody else that could potentially introduce them to the gospel. So when Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What Paul is saying is God has literally not wasted a single drop of this that he has allowed people that would have otherwise had no ability to know about Jesus. They now know that I am imprisoned for the cause of Christ. That is incredible. See, this is why this should matter so much to us. You can live life as if everything is a coincidence not believing, not trusting that God is sovereign, that he is over, that he is working in all things. And you can live life without purpose or intentionality. Like that is an option that, that we can choose to exercise to live in. But that wasn't the way Paul lived. Instead, he believed that God was over and within every circumstance in his life. That through the beauty and the brokenness, through the corruption and the captivating realities, that in all of it, God was working. And he was inviting him into a story that he was writing in him and through him. The people who come into our lives are not there by accident. Do you know that? The people in your life are not there by accident. Now, that sounds kind of beautiful, but nobody in your life is there by accident. That includes that frustrating coworker, maybe... <laughs> That includes that neighbor who doesn't turn down their music late at night. That includes the roommate when they don't do the dishes. That includes the family member that's a little bit of a struggle. Your coworkers, your roommates, your family, your neighbors, all of them, in each of these relationships, you have an opportunity to see your circumstances, an opportunity to serve the gospel. Paul is literally looking at his imprisonment as opportunity. I'm sure that didn't come overnight. But that's where he's realized. And he has seen the fruit of that, that these guards are now aware of the beauty of the gospel. Whether or not, we don't know what their response has been so far, but we know that they're now aware of it. And see, the God of the universe has seen fit to call you on mission to your work location. Isn't that crazy? To your family, to your neighborhood, to your kids, to your roommates, to your spouse, the people in your life that you do life with, the people you have relationship with, God has allowed you to be in that position. So don't miss the opportunity that he has allowed you to be in today to be a gospel presence and a gospel voice. The reality is I, I don't know what tomorrow holds for me, so I definitely don't, don't know what it holds for you. But what I do know 
It's something that one of my friends, Holly, once told me years ago. She said, your mission is where your feet are today. Look down and you'll know where you're called today because it's where you're at. See, this was Paul's focus to his circumstances. So that's been his focus so far. But now we're gonna see the gears change just a little bit because he's gonna begin to enter into two different responses that other people have had towards his circumstances. So first he's gonna start by talking about those who responded with empathy. Verse 14. Now, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the first crew are those who had a lot of empathy. In fact, not only empathy, they had actually seen Paul's suffering as a flashpoint for them. The concept of a flashpoint is um, when you have a fire, before you have a fire, We have a fuel source, maybe it's wood. The wood has to be heated up to a certain temperature, the minimum temperature for it to combust and ignite into flames. That is a flashpoint. And for these believers, their flashpoint to go and live on mission is Paul in prison and suffering. His his persecution was cause for their activation into ministry. Paul's imprisonment has served for incredible purposes in and through their lives. See, they could have seen his terrible circumstances and like, like, yeah, I didn't sign up for this and like bounced. But that's not what they did. Instead, they have pressed in. Now, it's not because they are like somehow glutton for punishments. They're like, oh, I was really hoping for a cause that might end in my imprisonment and death. Let's see where this one goes. Like that's probably not what any of them were desiring. But instead... What they saw was his faithfulness in the midst of the difficult. In fact, they had previously seen his faithfulness in the midst of it going easy and well. And because of that, because Paul has demonstrated faithfulness to the gospel mission in the midst when it was going easy and in the midst of the difficult, they have seen faithfulness on display over and over and over again in Paul That was an encouragement for them. They weren't like waiting until hashtag persecuted for the Lord was like trending on Twitter or something. They were ready to go. Not because it was easy, not because it was even appealing, but because they saw that it was true and good and worthy. See, this is why I believe, this is why I personally for me, I care so much about the persecuted church around the globe. And this is why I believe it should be something that we in the United States care deeply about. On the one hand, it is important that we are supporting, encouraging, praying for them as our gospel partners. But also so that we can be challenged and emboldened by their faithfulness to be faithful in our context. The same way Paul is encouraged by them, they are encouraged by Paul. So these empathetic siblings of Paul are encouragers. But he said most Most of the brothers respond this way. It's like a pie chart, like the vast majority of the pie chart. Those are the most. And most of them are pretty awesome here. Now there's the sum. So now he gets to the sum, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. So there are some. And to be honest, they're kind of brutal. They are preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry. I mean, think about that. They are preaching the gospel of Jesus, but they're doing it with the wrong heart motives. 
They're treating Paul like an enemy. They aren't preaching rival messages. I think that's important to acknowledge. They are preaching the exact same Jesus. They are preaching the same gospel message, but they are preaching with rival motives and attitudes. Now that sounds pretty terrible, right? But even worse, Paul's circumstances are still pretty messed up. So they're kicking him while he's down. Now, Paul's gonna move back and forth from here on out between these two groups, between the most and the sums, okay? So he continues, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So again, referencing back to those empathetic individuals, they are preaching the gospel from goodwill. Now the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. So Paul goes back to the empathetic siblings. They are preaching the gospel in Paul's place. They are actually a continuation of his legacy of gospel work by going out. Like, Paul, we get that you're on the sidelines right now. We're gonna go do this one for you, right? Like, a, like football teammates and one's on injured reserve and they're going out and they're like, this one's for you guys. Like that moment, like that's kind of what they're at with Paul. Like, we're with you, Paul. And they are going out and doing all of this. But then again, there are the sums. Now the former, they proclaim Christ, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Like these guys are clearly the worst, right? Like if we were to label them, we would label them the worst. They like, could you imagine you've been in prison for four years, and these hecklers keep going at you and they're supposed to be your friends. You're like, come on, like pick a new song. Come on, like stop it. But notice that what's about to happen is Paul's response. That even though the worst, even though they are trying to appall, offend Paul, afflict Paul, here's Paul's response. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. That's challenging. See, he is rejoicing. Why? Why is he rejoicing? Because regardless of motivation, the gospel is preached. This is curious because Paul doesn't mess around with false gospels. He doesn't. In fact, it's kind of like a thing of his. He like calls them out pretty regularly and pretty well. He consistently calls out false teachers for preaching false messages. So he does that. But the, that's not what he's doing here. Because you see, he would rather the right message be preached with the wrong motive than the right, when the wrong message be preached with the right motive. That's fascinating, Right? Because you see, the power, it doesn't come from the worthiness, the charisma, or the motivation of the message carrier. It comes from, the, from who the message is from and who it is about. Almost as if Paul is saying that whether the person is delivering your Amazon order, comes, from your, comes into your neighborhood, blasting loud music, waking up the baby, making the dog really bark, frustrating the world. That's never happened to me. Um, or it's like the world's best delivery person. Either way, the package is being delivered. And when an Amazon package arrives at your door, you kind of get excited inside, right? It's like that. The message is being delivered either way, and in that I rejoice. 
Jesus is worthy. And he is being lifted up, even if they're being knuckleheads. Now, I'm sure Paul would prefer them right messages, right motives. But what he is saying is, if they are trying to bite at me over this, if they want to get me into a feud, I'm not gonna bite for that. But instead, I'm just gonna praise God because the gospel is being made known. And that's enough for me. See, if Paul was about his glory, if Paul was about his rejoicing in him being made much of, then this isn't really the right message to send, right? If this is about Paul getting honored, his rights, his glory, if it was about how awesome he was, he should be saying something else. But this is a message centered around the glory of Jesus Christ. See, God, as I mentioned before, is about our good. And he is also for his own glory. I don't know about you, but I know for me so often, so easily, my temptation is for my glory. Hence why we oftentimes might wince when um, someone at work takes our idea as their own and they don't give us any credit. And you like want to kick them under the table. Like that moment, it's because we want the glory. Now, there's, there's definitely something good about gratitude. There's something good about honoring one another. But so easily we make it about glory, about me getting my due. The trouble is we can oftentimes allow that to enter us into that, that some camp, those who were filled with envy and rivalry, those that were, in, went, were embittered in jealousy because they want glory. And Paul's saying, I don't... I'm not in it for my glory. They're saying, give me the glory. And God's saying, I'm the only one who is worthy of glory. Now, giving glory, just like an easy way to understand giving glory, giving glory is to go public about the worthiness of someone. And there is none more worthy than Jesus Christ himself. There is none more worthy than God. So the trouble is we can often become the envious ones because we desire the glory, which takes place in the arena of comparison. I was thinking about this this week, that there is no envy without comparison. There is no rivalry without comparison. Paul has been so matured by God that he could live with being diminished just as long as Christ was exalted. Does it bother you? when others are praised or promoted or more recognized than you? What if they try to tear you down in order to build themselves up? Are you ready to pull them back down to make yourself go back up further? See, we have a spiritual enemy who loves for us to compare ourselves with others because here's what's so twisted about comparison. When we real, if we realize or we come to the belief that we are better than the other person at the thing that we're comparing on, then what happens is we begin to grow arrogant. And what happens if we do the comparison game and we believe we are worse at that than the other person is we begin to grow in envy. Either way, we lose and the enemy wins. Like we have given him a hand that he does not lose. So despite the fact that wrongly motivated preachers were using Paul's imprisonment as a means of tearing him down, Paul humbly says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, the way you overcome your wicked jealousy is by caring more for Jesus's glory than for your own. It's like 
John the Baptist said, I, ha- I must become less so that he can become more. Let the glory of Christ be your chief concern. That is, that is ultimately the cause of our life. The chief end of man is to enjoy God, is to enjoy God and to make him known, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, the reality is it's, that's easier said than done. It sounds really beautiful, but how do we remain faithful to that in the midst of our chaotic circumstances? I would argue it's simple, but it's not easy. It's the thing we talk about a ton around here, but we remember. We remind ourselves. We remind one another. We remember what is true about Jesus and the gospel. We remember that he is working in the background of the difficult. We remember that God is for our good and for his glory. We remember that we are freed from comparison and rivalry. We remember that that is not because we are worthy, but because Jesus is worthy. And Jesus is worthy because he paid the penalty on the cross for our sin, our death, our brokenness, our shame. So it's not about us. It's not our story, it's his story. And he has invited us in on it. And for that, we are called to remember because we are forgetful people. So when the circumstances come, when the diagnosis come in, when the betrayals happen, if we ever, ever experience genuine persecution for our faith, we remember that God can use us. He can use whatever has happened really to serve the gospel. I love that. Let me just go back and read verse 12 one last time. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I love the insert of the word really there in the English translation. Like really, I know that you might not think so, but like really, it really has. It has really served to advance the gospel. It really has. It may not feel right now like what is going on in your story can really be used to serve and to advance the gospel. But I I serve a God that really does that. He really does. I'm gonna invite invite the band to come on up. And I have one final challenge for us for tonight. See, Paul displayed faithfulness, but not because he was awesome, but because he continually trusted a God who is awesome, who is worthy of all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, all the worthiness. And this is our same opportunity this evening. But like Paul grew into that reality and into embodying that truth, we need to do that. We need to remember and we need to pray that we would remember. So um, we created a really simple prayer challenge um, for you, um, for us, for this week, for this month, for however long. Can I challenge you um, to uh, maybe take out your phone? And we have this. We took Philippians 1.12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And we made it into a background for your iPhone um, or Android device. I'm not hating from the stage about on Android devices. We can talk offline about that but you can go ahead and scan the QR code um, and you will be able to download that. Um, We'll also uh, probably post it on social media tomorrow or something like that as well. And um, what I'd love for you to do is just save that. And, and And when you pull that verse up, pray, God, help me to remember that what is happening, what has happened can be used to serve the gospel. 
And then maybe Texas is a reminder to one another. Pray for one another in this, in the middle of the difficult, not in contrite ways, but in beautiful ways. Because I believe that when we remember this, God can begin to do a beautiful work in us and through us. I want to finish with this. This is um, something Jesus once said. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven. It's not for our glory. It's not because we are worthy. It's because he is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you you are worthy. Whether my affections are steered up or not, you are worthy. Lord, I pray over this family tonight, over this biblical community tonight, as sons and daughters this evening. I pray, Lord, for each of us, that you would stir our affections towards your glory and away from our own. Lord, would you captivate our hearts? Would you captivate our attention to be transfixed by you? Lord, for many of us, probably most of us, we believe these things to already be true, at least to some degree. But Lord, would you take us from mere intellectual assent to a place where our affections are genuinely stirred by you. Father, I need it. My brothers and sisters here tonight need it. Because there's some difficult circumstances represented in this room. We need to know it. We need to know that you are good and you are worthy and you are worthy of all the glory. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that. That you would help us to step away from rivalry and envy and comparison. And because especially when you're in the difficult, it's so easy to go back to those comparison points. But Lord, I pray that instead of comparing or envying what is what what seems like such a better way that this story could be going right now. Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be so transfixed on you as we are gazing at Jesus that, it, that our affections would genuinely be stirred tonight. Lord, it is apart from you that we can do anything. So would you do what only you can do? Would you help us to abide in you? And would you bear much fruit in your kids tonight? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.